we're going to we're going to take it to such a high level that it's going to be so obvious that we got screwed every time mm-hmm. I showed up and they saw the black face they were like oh no you know taking these so, girls from nothing to taking them to six national championships wow. European and she said hey I want to pitch your story you, you just- activate your energy Welcome to the Activated Authors Podcast, a show where we distill the core principles of what it takes to become a happy, healthy, and productive author, no matter what stage of the journey you're at. I'm your host, Daniel Wilcox. I'm an international best-selling author, as well as an author coach, speaker, and creative entrepreneur. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student of all things productivity, psychology, and human behavior. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Without further ado, let's dive in. What is up, Activators? And welcome to another episode of the Activated Authors Podcast with myself, Daniel Wilcox, and... Sam Frost, that's me. Hello. Hello, Sam. How are you doing? I'm good. I don't... <laughs> Considering I am a trained actor, I get very excited when I have to announce myself and I lean into the mic, which is completely unnecessary. Sam Frost. I apologise. if I've just realised I've just done like a really hard T into the mic. And so if that's first anyone's eardrums... I, I can only apologise. Yeah. Also, you should apologise to the entire um, nation of Yorkshire. <laughs> For a hard tea. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. How are you? I'm good. I'm all right. I am fair to middling. I am middling to fair. That's, that's, that's how I'm at. Nice. Um, a bit cooler this week? Just. <laughs> just um i'm trying to think yeah no yeah yeah i'm all right like <laughs> i mean i mean everything's fine mode okay you know the fire's going and that the fire is my psyche mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm just sat at the table with, with a be on just waving hello everyone it's all fine yeah it's all fi- fires put themselves out i hear so we're gonna be good Oh, eventually they do. <laughs> yeah. Once they've run out of fuel, I'm worried that I'm the only fuel left in the burning building. Yes. But yeah. Dark detail. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Mm-hmm. Apologies, but that's 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 where I'm sitting. How about you? I'm doing all right. Um, yeah, it's been a been a busy week as per, but progress has been made. I am not yet closer well i'm closer but i'm not yet able to talk about um some of the things yet but no it's been good i went for um mccarvery that was nice saw some family um i've been chipping away at the novella and then managed to get a few more words down for that and made some progress on um the novel too and yeah just generally a bit of a like it, it, i feel like things are sustainably at the minute calming down compared to you know, what I mentioned last week, like the last few weeks of um, chaos. So I've kind of ordered some bits in, in terms of like calendars and whatnot, so I can finish my last bits of planning. And with any luck soon, I'll have a forecast for what the next four quarters looks like. Because I don't think I mentioned, I've not mentioned this um, publicly before, not that it's like a huge thing to announce publicly, but like, so I've, I've changed how I organise stuff. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I used to start off all of my big goals and everything, um, around New Year, because obviously that's when the whole big New Year rush happens. Um, 
yeah, but I I now do all of my things from April because for the UK at least um, that's when the end of the tax year is. So it just kind of makes sense to track business and personal and all the life things from the same point because otherwise it just gets a bit jarring and confusing having like your main goals run quarter one January to March mm-hmm. and then your business goals April till June. Um, yeah, so I've, I've, I've tied all those together and started working out that way. And so I should have the next four months planned, no, four months, four quarters planned and ready to go real so soon. I'm fully on top of it. <laughs> oh, I am. Um, it's just, it's, there's a lot of thinking and like my, my brain hurts a bit, but like the good news is as part of that with, again, forecasting for ghostwriting to end, actually seeing how much extra time I'm going to have is very, very yeah, reassuring yeah. to not, not to fill, but to utilize um because i've i've spent the last couple of years going very like doing a lot of stuff and doing a lot of uh, minimum viable product stuff mm-hmm. that to be fair like i put a lot of effort into things that i do anyway um but i'd like to see what i could do with a little bit of leeway on either side so yes. factoring that, that time um making a big push towards getting things scheduled way in advance just to take it off my mind um and yeah that's that's kind of where i'm at so what have you been what have you been working on i just summed up all of my stuff in one <laughs> yeah, you did. that was that was expertly done I am um, efficient just very quickly before i dive into uh, what i've been working on my favorite phrase at carver is a bit of everything please yeah i don't know if these go abroad but toby carveries in the uk are delicious yeah they are they do mash so potato yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah do mash potato um, yeah. also cauliflower cheese um, oh yeah yeah three different meats on the same plate now i want a carvery damn you Mm -hmm. Um, and also my my dog decided just to jump and and walk around and now for people on youtube you can just see his posterior just sticking out the corner beautiful beautiful Uh um so what have i been working on that was the question wasn't it yeah okay let me do the thing where i look up because my memory is well, according to you, amazing, but not great on when I have to think of my own timelines. So I have, I have. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just slowly devolving on the podcast. I'm so sorry. Um, I have, oh, I did it again. I have. <laughs> I'm just really tired. I'm sorry. Okay, so I have been working on my blog to make sure that that is as well. I say consistent. Mm. Consistent for me, which is a different thing, kinda. Um, and in fact, the last couple of weeks I wrote a post about kind of my relationship with consistency Mm. um which I hope kind of underlined the message going forward um but yeah so I've been just I've been trying to I have been oh my god I swear to god (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna send you a singogram that slaps you across the face with a fish that's carved the word try in it okay yeah um that's a very niche you talk i'm going to think of some fish puns with try in it 
Okay. Um, I've completely lost my train of thought, if there ever was one. Consistency. Oh, yes. So I have um, been working on just getting some kind of posts, like evergreen posts stacked. So if I have another um, breakdown <laughs> when, when someone poses an extremely simple question to me, um, I've got I've got that. So yeah, that's that's nice. most. I mean, I've been working on other stuff, but that's yeah, yeah. Consistency is a weird one um, because consistency can mean a number of different things. Consistency basically means showing up, mm -hmm. um, whatever that looks like. And for authors, I think there's a division between. Um, so consistency can mean, for example, I'm going to send the news out every week. And it goes out on that same time every week to news letter people. It could be your book delivered every three months, four months, six months, whatever it is that you are as an author. Mm -hmm. um, but consistency, yeah, means kind of showing up at that point. But I think what a lot of people forget is that consistency is actually joined with communication and expectation. So, for example, I was talking um, last week about Stranger Things. You know, they've done six six episodes of this season, and it came out all in one chunk as you kind of expect. So it's like, oh, awesome! But then found out after there's an additional two episodes that aren't uh, it doesn't seem to be any kind of like real um like proper formula that makes sense but because i know it's there because i've been told it's there i now expect it mm -hmm. so like similarly with um consistency a lot of the time it doesn't necessarily mean you have to like because i argue that a big part of the other stories podcasts success was that we deliver every monday the episodes go out without fail and i think yeah. you know people expect that to be there on a monday so they get uh, they they download it they they get what they want and that they know that every monday it's going to turn up yes um but that doesn't mean and i wouldn't well it doesn't mean that we couldn't take a break for example if we wanted to if we told people okay so yeah. this date to this date we're going to take that break we could cut that in we can cut that consistency make it inconsistent for that period mm -hmm. so that we could have a break as long as we communicated right to let people know where we are and what we're doing yeah. so that our real fans don't suddenly go, oh shit, there's no episode, I'm out, I'm going to find something else. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it, consistency is another, another one of those that can be quite toxic to people who don't understand like, the full breadth of it, but a lot of it comes back into expectations and, and delivery. Yeah. Um, Trigger Shark. So... Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Triton, um, what is something you've enjoyed this week? Still <laughs> horrific puns. No. So something I've enjoyed this week um, is playing on the Switch with my son. And I never, ever in my entire goddamn life thought that sentence would fall out of my mouth. And I will tell you as for why, because normally playing with your child um, from I would say kind of like from five six onwards um it's less playing with your child and um doing as a dictator tells you to <laughs> they're yeah, very yeah. much like I say this and now you say this <sighs> yeah. and just trying to step I feel that so hard <laughs> <laughs> and particularly when you're like playing a video game with them it's often the same, like you just follow me in here and they're not, they're, I, and I, I cannot underline this enough. They don't, they don't do fun right when it comes to video games. <laughs> they're, they're not trying to get all the things. They're not following any objective other than just to run around. Other than fun? Like, ugh, 
but I had fun probably mainly because technically I wasn't playing with him he had set me up a profile on his switch and um has been for a little while now been asking me to play uh, mario odyssey from the beginning because i watched him play it. it was a really cool game um and so i decided today to just be like you know what i'm just gonna stop for a little bit mm. i'm just gonna sit down on my sofa with my son and play my and oh my god that game is so much fun yes i got two Possess a T-Rex, and I hate dinosaurs. They freak me out, but being one, woo-woo, that's fun. Because... Was it a Trianosaurus Rex? <laughs> it wasn't a try-hard author. Um... No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's been a lot of fun, and bless him. He's just been, he's just kind of been sat there really enjoying watching it, and the thing he seems to be enjoying the most is that I'm really enjoying it. Like every three minutes he's like, you really like this game, don't you, mummy? I'm like, yeah, it's really I have cool. to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed answering that question the first time. Yeah. Uh, it's getting a little wearing now, but sure, yeah. So yeah. That, that's kind of me. Just I actually took a little bit of downtime mm. um, and enjoyed it. How about you, sir? Um, you enjoyed this week? First. And don't say Stranger Things. No, first, um, giant trivalley. That's a, a fish. Um, so, how <laughs> do you know so many fishes? Bailey loves his fish, uh, and uh, we play a lot of Animal Crossing together. Kind of, um, as you say, in that environment. That five star of, island. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to fall off on that. Um, but no, we we were playing Plants vs Zombies, like Garden Warfare, together earlier, which is like you kind of two different factions. You you can either be on the zombie team or the plant team. And it's that thing of the minute we logged on, he was like, you're going to be the imp, aren't you, daddy? I was like, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll be who I want to be. Can you be this one? No. Or like sometimes I'll be kind and try and do him a favor on Animal Crossing and uh, help him out. Because some, some fish are really difficult to catch. And like, for example, to catch a spider on there, like not a spider, a tarantula on that game is quite difficult. Um, and so while he's finishing his dinner, because it takes him three hours, mm, I will jump on and I'll like just be kind and do this bit for him. And then while I'm doing that, he's like, can you also do this for me? And he'll be like, like ask me to collect stuff and do this mission and this mission. I'm like, no, like, I'm not just going like, to spend my time playing as you, guided by you. Like, I want to do things as well. Um, so I'm kind of like in, in a very similar position. Like, I, I, I felt that very, very hard. Mm. Um, so my thing that I've enjoyed, uh, and actually I'm cheating on this one already, um, but it's not necessarily something I've enjoyed this week, but it's something that I enjoyed a few weeks ago and kind of the lessons have continued to ripple. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, uh, I was fortunate enough to get an ARC copy of Helen Scheurer's How to Write a Series, a successful yeah. series. Um, and it's fantastic. It really is like, it's an accessible read. It is just filled to the brim with knowledge gained from her own experience writing series, as well as other people that she's been speaking to. And the, I think the beautiful thing for me is, and I, for the listeners, who used to jump onto um, next level authors have known that I've had like a real issue for ages on how to serialize horror because yeah. people die in horror. It's very difficult. They're, they're very like standalone stories are very the norm. Um, not <laughs> it, it was not, all a dream. Oh. <laughs> Tune in next week for his next dream. Mm -hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and so I've I've had this real sort of issue trying to work out how to build a continuation of, of stuff, and the book basically 
reinforce a bunch of stuff I already knew. But again, sometimes you just need people to retell you the things that you know to actually know them. Like I think your Lesson thing is like will yes. be repeated until it is learnt. Love that. I love that so much. Um, but yeah, like the the book is it's educational, it's informative, it's fun. It's for someone's first nonfiction. It's beautifully written. Nice. Um, and I think it's, I'm not sure what the release date is. It's potentially August, um, but it's up on Amazon for people who want to pre-order it. But I would I would highly recommend that. And not in the least because she is one of our Activated Author experts. Yeah, um, so Helen does jump onto calls with our Activated Authors uh, every couple of months or so. And so you can talk to her. She's awesome as well. She's fantastic. She's yeah. such a lovely person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even if she wasn't, I would, I would recommend this book because it is brilliant. I think there's only a few books out there that really deal with how to write a series that I've come across that are quite accessible. One of them being um, Sarah Rosette's um, book. I can't remember the title off the top of my head. But yeah, so how to write a successful series by uh, Helen Schroer. I'm going to yawn now, my apologies. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so uh, we're going to pull a weekly win from our wonderful Activated Authors community. Yes. Sam, do you have a weekly win? At I do. What I don't currently have, for some reason. Oh, your glasses. Um, there they are. We. I'm going to put on my, my readers <laughs> slash I actually wear these all the time apart from when I'm on the computer because I look like all the irony of everything I know right I mean when I'm when when I'm like on zoom on my computer mm-hmm. like I, don't, I don't write oh yeah I'm not like I don't need them for, no, no. for the work the glare from the ring light yeah no okay so yes the weekly win I have picked is from the beautiful Meg um, and she says that she gave herself space to intuitively work through her mental plotting process, had some incredible breakthroughs and feeling so excited to start work on my first fantasy book in almost a year. And the reason I chose that is just and it seems to be a little uh, a little kind of ripple and also reoccurring theme uh, with the people in Activated Authors, which I think is testament to uh, the community you have built. So kudos is that people are celebrating stopping Mm. not permanently stopping and just like taking that time for themselves and being kind to themselves which Mm. I think is something that again like we said last week we're so used to kind of breaking ourselves and burning ourselves to keep others warm that um yeah it's it's it can be difficult particularly when you know you're running your own business or like you know just just life you've got kids you've got family you've got relationships like it's difficult to go do you know what I've got a me and that's the only thing that I can 100% guarantee for as long as I draw breath I will have yeah so I should probably like look after that first yeah and there's such a push well it's not even a push it's just I I think it's just ingrained um in particularly communities or the side that I've been um privy to is that one of the best metrics to measure your success as a writer is through words. That is the thing that a lot of people do measure themselves by because so much of what we do is holistic. Yes. You know, it's it's thinking time, it's planning time, it's research time, it's plotting time, it's mm-hmm. taking a break. Like if you try and just sit and write words and words and words for hours and hours, you're going to burn out because your mind needs a chance to recover and to be inspired and, you know, work to however it needs to work best and so as you say actually taking that time to rest like one of them I spoke to an author recently um a bit of a one-to-one and I won't say who for various reasons but um one of the 
targets we picked for them was specifically to take X amount of time to outline and really think about what they're doing with their book rather than putting that pressure straight on of like, I need to write a novel because yes, you do. But also planning and outlining, should that be your method? Yes. Is writing a novel. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that when winter comes, when I wrote that really benefited from me taking a good week to Pinterest board because I'm very visual and need to like feel the theme and the tone in like that um, cover behind me just the colors and everything in it is very very similar to a lot of what the broader Pinterest board was and everything I had stamped in there Um, and actually thinking about like some of the conflicts and where I want that to go not to the point as you know I've I've said this um, a lot of times before but I'm not really a plotter like I need to know what the end is Um, and I know need to know who the characters are in terms of how they get there that's up for grabs Mm -hmm. but enough time and space to do just that helps um and actually it's part of what i'm kind of putting into my novella at the minute is that time to think and plan because i didn't get myself that at the beginning and i'm suffering a bit because of it yeah um but yeah that that rest time is huge to inspire and to write and carry on and we shouldn't discredit yeah. that as a part of the process no i think it's because so much work that is done as a creative is intellectual property um mm. and we are taught so heavily growing up that like you can see work yeah so there is that real kind of disconnect when you're trying to do it but I mean same like I know for me the first nano that I did um ever and also with you I had so heavily outlined the book and it was a joy to write where last nano um I kind of knew and I'd got a rough outline but it became very quickly obvious that it was just not it was not my favorite way to write. So I'm already looking at kind of putting in some steps to outline for this one. Mm. I would like to enjoy it. <laughs> Coming up soon. And just yeah. on that, because why not plug? Um, the <laughs> holding page for my NaNoWriMo bootcamp is currently live on the Activated Authors website. Um, so there's a tab at the top. I think it might just be activatedauthors.com slash bootcamp. Um, but yes, every year since 2020, we've dragged uh, authors through Nano and taken the 15% international pass rate up to 80% yeah. of people who have written 50,000 words, including those who have believed that they couldn't for the past decade. Mm-hmm. So um, there's information on there that you can feel free to check out if people want to put themselves on the waiting list for when all that goes live. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, this week, and I won't put the sudden pressure on you uh, <laughs> this week. So this week we have the wonderful Kathy Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, Kathy Murray is a, a Georgia, I think she's from Atlanta, Georgia, um, author and also a personal trainer. She runs her own business at Fit Bodies. And um, the reason she was on Fit Authors this week is because she was celebrating the release of her Audible exclusive book, which was co-written um, called the, uh, the Munich Cowboys Cheerleaders. And it chronicles in a novella her experience of going over to a country in which she didn't know the language, in which there were so many obstacles and barriers, yeah. and uh, took a suffering, chilling team from nothing to six national championships, which is massive. So really enjoyed sitting down and talking with her this week. Um, I suppose with that said, yeah. we'll jump over to the interview and we'll both meet you on the other side. Kathy Murray is a certified personal trainer with over 30 years experience in the fitness industry. She is a graduate of the Ohio State University, where she was a member of the 1983 National Cheerleading Championship team. After college, she competed in and won the United States Aerobic Championship in 1986 and spent the year traveling the world as a fitness ambassador and works as a freelance educator to teach fitness to European instructors. 
While in Munich, Kathy coached the Munich Cowboys, American football, cheerleaders to six national titles in cheerleading and was head trainer and translator for the German Gladiators during a pilot TV show for the International Gladiators. Always an avid cyclist, Kathy dipped her toe into the world of multi-sport in 2000, first competing in duathlons, then eventually moving to triathlons. Kathy has owned her personal training business, Fit Bodies, for 24 years, and in 2022 co-authored the Audible book, The Munich Cowboys Cheerleaders, based on her time coaching the squad. She lives in Atlanta with her husband, Lutalo, dog Mingus, and cat Sassy. Kathy, welcome to the show. Yay, thank you. Thank you, Daniel, for having me. No, you're more than welcome. There's so much to dive into here. And I thought the, the, the best place to start, and I think the one that will really um, have caught listeners' ears as I read through that bio, your dog Mingus. <laughs> what kind of dog are we talking here? We're talking a, um, he's a boxer. He's 85 pounds now, boxer pit bull oh, wow. mix. Um, my husband is a uh, 36 veteran, um, army veteran. He's mm-hmm. retired. And, but then his second career has been a jazz vocalist. Okay. So he decided uh, we was we we're gonna name our dog Mingus after the famous bassist Charles Mingus, ah. and then Sassy is Sassy Sarah Vaughn. So we have a jazz. Uh, the, the, the animals are named after jazz icons. <laughs> oh, I love that. And are they musical in any sense, or is it just the name? <laughs> yeah, they can be. You know, if he wants to. He he's, wants to be fed. He can be vocal and she can be vocal too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, tell my listeners a little bit about how you got started on your journey towards, well, let's, let's focus for now on the books, but there's okay. a lot we'll dive into, but let's focus okay. on you know your journey into writing the book and releasing the Munich Cowboys cheerleaders. Where did that okay. all begin? Um, well, it began in um, Munich, um, Germany. Why well, actually, if I back up, I was in corporate America uh, well, I was a medical sales representative and uh, I had always been in fitness, teaching group fitness, um, you know, I was obviously a cheerleader. And um, once I got into um, uh, uh, the corporate world, after five years, I just didn't feel that it was a fit for me as a long-term mm-hmm. career, but I always taught fitness on the side. Um, I got the opportunity at the time to go over to Europe. They were hiring American instructors to teach Europeans how to teach group fitness, and they had certification programs. So I jumped at the chance to go over um, and teach and um, Munich, Austria, I was kind of all over, all, all, all over Europe. Um, I have, I'm a personal trainer. I've been a personal trainer for over 30 years and I was, uh, I'm tr- been, have been training my client, Martha Hall Kelly, who is a um, multi New York Times bestseller in historical fiction. And as a personal trainer, you have a dual role as a therapist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we talk a lot about <laughs> There, you know, she was getting her first book. Um, uh, she was writing her first book, Lilac Girls, and she would talk to me about it. But I would also share my time in Europe and, and teaching. And she just thought, wow, this is a great story. Amazon came to her for, to write an original uh, novella. And she said, hey, I want to pitch your story. You, you just have this incredible story being uh, all the adversity you went through and how inspirational it is. So we pitched to Amazon. Amazon said, great. So we started writing, co-writing in uh, 2021. Uh, I had a great editor 
And um, that's how the story um, came about. Um, obviously, when I went to Europe, I was asked to coach these cheerleaders who were uh, from cheerleading, obviously, is American sport, mm -hmm. but they were cheering for an American football team called uh, the Munich Cowboys. And the manager had asked me if I would come and take a look and would I be interested in coaching them. And they were doing the best they could <laughs> as far as emulating cheerleading in America. And I thought, <laughs> oh man, they are clueless uh, mm -hmm. as to what they're doing. So I love a good challenge. And uh, we, I started teaching them um, stunts. And, you know, again, I just moved there. So my language, my German wasn't that great then. Mm. So we just kind of made it work. Um, that was before uh, Google Translate. <laughs> Now it's so easy with Google Translate. I just had a little uh -huh. pocket dictionary. And we just um, worked on rules and, you know, you can't smoke during practice. And, you know, a lot of these things that I was, you know, they were definitely a fish out of water. Mm -hmm. So it just became, um, you know, taking these girls from nothing to taking them to six national championships, a European championship. So it, it's been quite the journey, let alone with me living in a foreign country, not knowing the language. Yeah. So just a little bit of everything. Yeah, that, that, that is massive. And it sounds like a one up to uh, the film Coach Carter, which obviously yeah. based on the true story of you know Coach Carter. Um, but I just this is definitely nothing to do with writing, but just my own little curiosity. So American cheerleading obviously is kind of like the. I guess, arguably the top of the cheerleading sport and profession. So I was a cheerleader in the UK for two years. Oh, wow. Yeah, something that's um, awesome. Yeah. So I was, uh, it was in my third year of university. I was in the Lincoln Jets uh, cheerleaders, which was a level two and level three stunt group. Okay. And then the following year it was part of a, a squad called Cobra Elite, which was again, sort of like a local one. Um, how, how does European cheerleading differ from the American cheerleading? Uh, I think when when they started it's a lot better now because some of the girls ended up actually coaching after i uh, after the time that i spent with them which was great um so they passed a lot on but i just think that um back then just learning the techniques as you know the stunting mm -hmm. safely um just um finding out what it takes to be a cheerleader, that was kind of something they had to learn. I mean, it's one thing was, you know, watching a video and then trying to emulate that, but yeah. really trying to say, hey, we're here to encourage the fans to cheer for our team to get them to win the game. Mm. So just those basic things. And as you know, living in Europe, I mean, everything was soccer, you know? Yeah. So the American football, I think it's a lot, um, more popular now, mm -hmm. especially with the NFL coming over and e England is a big, you know, they come and, and the, the NFL plays there a lot, but yes. they, you didn't really have a lot of that back then. They did have NFL Europe. So it was Spain. Some of the teams, the countries did have, um, uh, but, but a lot of those NFL, as you know, is different because there are the dance teams. Mm -hmm. NFL has the dance girls, the dance team. They're not as athletic as the, you know, college high school cheerleaders that we have here. It's, mm -hmm. it's a sport. 
yeah and talk to me about some of those adversities you obviously mentioned you know no smoking during practice and things like that but you had this team that arguably needed to be whipped into shape at the same time that you also had the in the american german language barrier how did you conquer that what, what were those early days like when it came to going to those teams and really trying to start getting to work i think i i had to initially just say these are the rules this is what you do and this is what you don't do um like the smoking <laughs> it's it's like you cannot smoke during practice you cannot smoke in the uniform so setting these rules you know and the conditioning i mean the, uh, my girls were anywhere from 15 to 20 and this you, you as you know you have to be strong to be a stunter um, you have to be in shape. So I actually started them with a conditioning program, you mm. know, push-ups, sit-ups, um, you know, um, running, you know, doing a little circuit training. And they are huffing and puffing at 15. <laughs> I'm like, you guys are young. Yeah. So just trying to get them, one, conditioned to do the sport, and two, just the practice. As you know, you have to be you have to be strong. You can't be whiny when someone's standing on your shoulders because if that base does not hold, the whole pyramid can go, can go down. So mm -hmm. looking at the girls, seeing who would be in what position as far as flyers, as far as stunners, and just saying, okay, if you're late for practice, that's a demerit. That's, that, that's mm -hmm. a penalty. Three demerits, you're not cheering the game. Don't, they've never had anything like that. Discipline. You no, know, yeah, <laughs> right. Discipline, yeah. right. Yeah. Showing up and being there as a team. You know, it's a team. As as we say, there's no I in team. No. So just teaching them, you're only strong as your weakest link. So everyone has to come on board. And the ones that are a little slow at learning, you have to practice more. So just a lot of discipline, a lot of conditioning, and just showing them how to um, how to to cheer and stunt. Mm. making me miss it it's been a fair few years since i've done it and for for listeners who might be interested i was a back because i'm six foot one and so i was tall oh, and i was nice. able to be a good base for people um but yeah there's there, there's no in between from so when it comes to doing the stunts and throwing people there is no in between from sort of ground level practice to throwing people so you're right it really does take focus and attention and coordination and teamwork just to you know do those stunts i remember we had um a flyer who are the people that get thrown about um and we had it was the first time we'd ever tried throwing her up into a backflip oh and right. as a back obviously there's a lot of pressure, pressure. there. obviously you have the basis as well but the back kind of like stops them like crashing right. their head back onto the floor i remember the first time setting up for that and just going like okay so just so we're just going to do this on the count of three yeah just go for it and you just have to hope that everything hits right. and everything goes and i say hope but obviously you know you train for that moment but it's a big it's a big leap to take and you know i don't i don't envy you having to sort of like coach people into that position obviously like look after the entire squad while while pushing them into that um right. how did you how did you approach some of the tougher because i'm sure there would have been people in the squad who are a bit more difficult let's say to mm. um adjust to the new rules how did you kind of bring them into shape or did you were they were they people that you kind of you know let go because they didn't fit that squad what was that like for you i think 
uh, luckily, I think that they really trusted me. You know, I, I, I'm a, a choreographer and a coach from America. So they were like, wow, she, you know, we need to listen to her. So as you know, with the stunting, we would just take one stunt at a time. Everyone would gather around mm -hmm. <laughs> just in case, you know, the flyer, if the flyer freaks out yeah, or, or doesn't complete that flip, you have to, you have to follow her. You have to make sure no mm -hmm. one gets hurt on your watch. So just really um, breaking down who the girls are, the taller girls, the flyers, and teaching them. And it was a little difficult because, you know, I mean, I was more of a midsection, uh, mid-stunter. So mm -hmm. I'm on the guy and I'm the one catching the girl on yeah. top of me. So I wasn't a flyer per se. Yeah. So just really um, showing them this is what a base does because in, in high school of course there were I was there was an all-girl team so mm -hmm. I was the one that was holding holding the stunts so just really showing them this is serious business you can't goof off this is someone's life so just really um I think they really trusted me in saying you guys you're the bases you're the flyers and and then you know sometimes it doesn't work so you have to move people around Cause that, you know, it takes confidence to be a flyer and it takes confidence to be that stunter. Mm. So the And you coach them to six championships, which is incredible. Congratulations. What Thank were, you. what were some of the big lessons you took from coaching that squad from the beginning to such a level? Were there anything sort of stand out that you can think of that were just like lessons from that? When they told me that they had championships, which totally shocked me. I said, look, let me see. They had videotapes of some of the past championships. And it was, you, you, they just put music on and they were moving around. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my gosh. And they would stunt, no one would be on time. They were really shaky. And I thought, okay, even if we do basic things, we should be able to do well. Um, when I um, reunited with the girls um, to do the book, they were um, they were um, talking about their best stunts and best routines, and they said, "You can we we did so many forward rolls <laughs> because you guys couldn't do anything else. You know, uh -huh. I went to the roll to the side, popped <laughs> up, roll to the side, roll to the front." you know so i had to go with what their level was at the time but have it aesthetically you know pleasing to go wow that's really cool when it was just a forward roll as a group and then they popped up yeah you know and then they had the you know so just working on their level until we got to a, another level and then trying to set the standard because no one at that time had an american coach so I told them, when we come out, everyone's going to be looking to what we do and going to try. They never tumbled. I taught them how to do, you know, tumbling passes. So just um, starting with their basic thing, doing the choreography, constantly drilling their head. Everyone has to be one uh one co cohesive group. If you have one person that's off, because I had judged cheerleading championships and so I knew what the other judges hopefully were looking for. So mm -hmm. just the first one, okay, we didn't do that great. And then we also unfortunately had to deal with um, discrimination. Mm 
No, no mm -hmm. everyone wasn't happy that they had an American, a black American coach. And we, there was some unfair judging. Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't think the girls understood that at the time. They're like, yeah, but we look better than everyone else. And, you know, and that's it. That was the politics of the, the judging sometimes. But just trying to be, no one drops anything. As you know, if you drop, you have to jump back up because that stunt can't go up if you miss where mm -hmm. you're supposed to be. So just constantly practicing, practicing, practicing to get them to understand this is, you, you have to hit it and you have to hit everything to win. Mm -hmm. um, so um, with each championship, we kind of took it to the next level. So I love that. And how... So obviously you mentioned that the, the discrimination around, you know, the judging and the politics and all that, that that happened around that time. How do you personally overcome that and champion yourself to move forward in a situation where obviously it does seem disadvantaged towards you? How was it that you managed to keep your, your head above water and, and keep pushing forward, knowing and knowing that you were doing these good things? Yeah, that was that was tough because you, you teach the girls, you hit the routine. You, you have your level of difficulty and. Uh, choreography and you know you have all these points that they're based on if you hit it whereas another group may drop a stunt and then they win that was the first time that happened that was really difficult for me mm. because they're looking at me like well you said <laughs> we we hit the routine and we're better than everyone we should win and why did we get 10th place mm. and that was just um initially just a stab to my heart. They're crying and I'm trying to like buck up, and, you know, even though I'm just as disappointed as they are. Yeah. Um, but you know what? It just really made me kind of just said, all right, we're coming. Not only are we coming back, we're going to come back. We're going to tumble. We're going to, we're going to take it to such a high level that it's going to be so obvious that we got screwed. Mm. So once I kind of went away and, you know, said, okay, you have to be strong for them. You just, we just got to get back up and, and go to the next one and just keep on doing this. Yeah. So that, that was, that was difficult. And have things progressed now? Have things gotten easier or is that still an issue in, in today's sort of cheerleading politics? You know, I don't know how many American coaches are there, but we've taught them so well. Mm. Um, the the NCA, the National Children's Association, you see a lot of them went over to Europe toward the end that I was leaving, like early 2000s. And then the girls would actually um, work for these organizations in the summer. Mm. So they really stepped up and came up and said, three of the girls are still involved with coaching I think one of them coaches for Munich All-Stars, which is, uh, they cheer for basketball, mm. um, but they do competitive um, competitions. And two of the girls actually started a uniform business because at that time, the uniforms were, they had more order from America. And as you know, the European sizes and American sizes yep. are different. So they started their own company with costumes and pom-poms and all of that. So I'm really, really proud of them that um, they were so involved in the sports that they wanted to, to make it um, easier access there in, um, in Europe. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that was, um, I think that it's, when I see the girls now, the all-stars, I'm like, okay, they, mm -hmm. they really have it down, but that's been you know a, a long time and they've stepped it up.
Yeah. And of course, much of this, all of this is in your book, The uh, Munich Cowboys Cheerleaders. Um, So going back through your your history of, you know, personal training, everything else from I I say a little like on and off, I've kind of got involved in in gym and trying to like, you know, keep a healthy body. And I'm back in that cycle now, joining the gym and getting back into that. Um, A lot of that comes from, you know, mindset. And we've spoken about discipline and things. What is it that you've taken from your kind of fitness journey and all of this with the coaching that you've taken into your book? How was writing a book different if it was, or were some of these lessons applicable in the same way to getting the words down and, and kind of moving forward with, with writing? I thought Martha was great in helping me if I wanted to, as you know, when you write, making it more descriptive for the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, how did the, how did it look? How how did it was there a scent to it? How did the the gym look? That type of thing. She really really helped me um, think about more w- with mm-hmm. the writing. Um, what the, the, we were writing this in twenty twenty one, so COVID was really high here, and I was still working from home. Whereas normally I would work in a gym all my clients came online. Mm. So that was actually a good, it it really helped me because I spent a lot of time writing in between um, clients uh, after my day, you know, writing to late, late at night. And just, it was just a fun project to relive my story. And I had to um, just record a lot. I had to mm. go back and think, okay, so what was it like when I first got there and I didn't lo- know the language? What, what was it like when people were calling me, you know, a shit foreigner, you know? So you had the anti-American mm-hmm. situation also that you, you didn't even, you didn't, wouldn't even think about and just trying to navigate um, every day in Germany, if you couldn't, if they couldn't understand you when you're in line to order bread, <laughs> they were like next, and you had to figure it out every day. So I think my personality, as far as perseverance, okay, so I need to go back. I need to work with uh, work on my pronunciation better, so I can mm. I can be. So just that, I think starting from cheerleading in. The high school, especially on the college level, when you're when you're winning a championship, that team, that team thing, the the, the um, dedication, the practicing hard, you fall, you get back up. I think that's a life lesson for a lot of the things that I went through in Germany, living there, but then also trying to pass that on um, with the the cheerleaders, but also with writing, you know. Uh, and the editing, well, this could be better. This character needs to be a little bit more, um, there's not enough content there. Mm-hmm. So just all of that helped, I think, with the writing also. Yeah. And what did the, so getting granular here, what did the day-to-day process look like? When when was it that you hit the words? Were you writing a certain amount per day? Was it sort of split between you and Martha? What was that, what was that process like? Um, well, with the novella, you know, it's only 20,000 words. Mm-hmm. So we were, we, we, we wanted to actually have more, it was easier to have more characters and then take them out versus not, oh, we got to, now we have to invent a, a character, add a character. Um, so I think the basic thing was to get the story down, um, what we wanted to include, 
my, my life starting in America, coming to um, Germany, mapping that out and how that was gonna look like. And then also incorporating the, the, the introduction to the cheerleaders and dealing with my family, you know, they weren't crazy. <laughs> it was me leaving a 500, Fortune 500 company and <laughs> going to Europe, you know, to teach for what, you know, you have this job. And um, so trying to convince them, getting, getting there and just, again, doing a lot of taping to go back to remember, okay, this is how I felt when, um, I couldn't get my first apartment because mm. every time I showed up and they saw the black face, they were like, oh, no. So just going back and going, oh, that's right. I remember that, you know, or the cheerleaders, you know, they were teenage girls. So, mm. you know, the boyfriend would break up and they were in the bathroom crying. <laughs> I couldn't get them out of the bathroom to, so just that whole experience and the girls really helped me to remember that to, just piece it's like a puzzle mm -hmm. let's just remove this let's put this together as far as writing it and like i said we had a great editor um laura mm -hmm. blackman at amazon who was awesome with helping us to put put the puzzles together to, to make a great story yeah and how because i've never really um gone down the route of sort of memoir and um sort of almost biographical nonfiction. um how much of the book was fictionalized versus what really really happened because I'm, I'm guessing there had to be some massaging of bits or was it all pretty much accurate to how you remember it yes um i think the and you, we had to have some composite characters mm. um annika was a composite character because i had 15 16 girls so i was really careful i didn't want them i wanted to show them in a good light obviously i mean you have some conflicts but I didn't, and I only could only put maybe three girls or four girls in the book. And I didn't want any, well, why is she in? And I'm not in, and yeah. I didn't want any of that. So I said, let's just deal with myself and Annika being a composite char character and the conflict that I had with her because she was uh, one of the best cheerleaders and I needed her mm -hmm. um, with that, but also, um, uh you know how to weave these other girls in well what the girls wouldn't be offended um and say well is that do you thought i i know you thought i had that type of attitude so that composite character um and some of the other girls were composite characters and and i thought we uh, we did a great job at, at having annika and myself annika so both mm. viewpoints um and going back with the the base all the things that happen with uh the the day-to-day -day living in, in munich that was definitely true with um said the language and mm -hmm being pulled over by the police on my bike and the apartment thing. So a lot of the anti-American, the racist things were, were true, my parents mm. with that. So, but the, and then also the championships, you know, on what, what songs we use, which was great for the girls. Cause they said, Hey, we love this men in black routine, which I totally forgot about because, you know, you're <laughs> choreographing the next, the next, the next. Mm -hmm. So when they sent me, they started sending me the championships. And then that's when I was like, okay, 
that's right, I remember that. And so I wove, as I was getting this um, information for them, I would write it in the story. Mm. It's such a um, strange ground to tread because I'm, I'm writing a nonfiction at the minute. And part of that is I am getting a bit more um, biographical than I've been in, in some of my nonfiction before, just because I do feel like the lessons are very, very pertinent to what I'm trying to tell. Right. And there's a really weird balance between wanting to speak your truth without denying someone else the opportunity to speak their truth. Cause obviously everyone has different perspectives, different lenses. Um, but right. I do think what you've done there is a very clever balance of, you know, who are, who are the main components in this that can carry the story. And then let's fictionalize enough that obviously, as you say, you're not then leaving people out on the table to dry, but then you're kind of still able to, to tell that narrative. I do, I do quite like that approach of, um, of getting the story across. Okay. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Smart. Um, one thing that you, you said earlier that kind of caught my attention is uh, you spent five years in corporate corporate America, Fortune 500, 500 company, and it wasn't for you. And um, the reason I'm about to ask a question I'm going to ask is because I do know a lot of authors and writers in my audience who are, they're, they're in their day jobs, but it just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't suit with them. But it's very, very scary to take that leap and to jump out yes. and to try something new, something that isn't secure, something that isn't guaranteed, something that's a bit more creative and risky. Um, so what was the... What was the moment that you went, I'm done with corporate America? And how did you overcome that in order to then pursue the things that you want to pursue? Mm -hmm. uh, medical sales, I, I knew coming out of college, I was not a desk sitter. I just don't have that personality to go into a desk and sit there nine to five. So at the time, personal, uh, I mean, um, the, the medical sales is great because I could go to different hospitals and, and, and talk to different doctors and that type of thing. But after at least two years, you know how you kind of look down the road and say, can, can I see myself doing this in five years? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't. And, and after the uh, national aerobic championship that I won as American champion, I was still teaching my full-time job with corporate America. And then in the evening, I would be in the gyms teaching group fitness. So I was kind of always in the fitness business um, part-time along with my um, full-time job. So a, a great friend of mine, um, uh, Madonna Grimes, uh, who was on my aerobics championship, she was already an international star that was going to Japan and all these places. And she had come to me and said, hey, we need someone in Japan for a month. Can you go? You know, my boss looked at me and said, why are you here even asking me that? There's no way you're gonna be able to come out of your territory for a, a month. Mm -hmm. So I said, look, if you could get me something for two weeks, my two week vacation, um, I will come to Europe and I will teach master classes. And so she came to me maybe a year later and said, okay, we have Italy and Austria and uh, Italy and Germany. Can you go? And I'm like, yes. So I took the two weeks and one of the gyms that I had master did a master class, they had American instructors. So when the other contract finished, they called me and said, Hey, they want you to come to this, uh, to teach. It's a, six month contract, they'll, you know, they're paying you, you're going to get an apartment. It was a slam dunk for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I was, I was going into a job. I had my housing paid for, I'll figure it out. This, this, I don't want to do. Mm. If I can get out of corporate and go there and at least have six months to figure out 
what I do want to do, this I love doing, this is, this is a piece of cake, then I'll figure it out. And then the six months came and I extended for 10 months. Um, I was actually outside of Munich at the time. And then I just thought this, you know, this is what I, I'm, I'm born to do mm-hmm. is, is coaching and, and teaching people fitness and, and how to improve their quality of life. And then, so the t- 10 months turned into five more years. <laughs> so, um, and then I got the, the cheerleaders and, uh, but it was, it, when you're miserable in something, I was, I really, you know, just when you wake up every day and you're just so depressed where you're just like, I don't even want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. That's when you just have to just step up out there on faith and just, just jump. And I, luckily I had the opportunity to go to Europe and, and even though my parents were saying, what are you doing? But I was working. It wasn't like I was backpacking, doing a mm. year rail, you know, across uh, Europe, I had a job, I had an apartment, you know, I'll figure it out. And there was a lot of uh, Americans, Canadians, so we had a little community over there. Um, but just sometimes you just have to just jump and, and the opportunity comes. So the opportunity came and then I just never looked back. I started my personal business there, chart training business in Munich, Fit Bodies. Um, so I just, I didn't look back as far as once I got there. I love that. I love that so much. Taking that jump and committing to it. I mean, when, um, so I, I went full-time as an author in 2019. And I know that uh, the general advice they have in, in this game is you need X amount of months of worth of savings. So you can obviously move forward. Oh, and, right. and I did not have that. Um, and I was, I was kind oh, of in that wow. similar situation of like, I was, I got to a point in which I was very, very miserable uh, in the job that I was in. And I had just about enough to scrape by. And I went, you know what? now and just did it and you know that's not advice that everyone should follow depending on your circumstances but sometimes taking those risks can definitely be um the catalyst that starts to rocket everything else that goes from there and i've uh i've I've said this quite a few times on the podcast um it's a a quote i absolutely love and i finally remembered the attribution which is a true change only ever comes from inspirational desperation and that wow that really sticks with me and it's um tony robbins that is that said that one um but yeah it's, it's one that really gets me because either you're incredibly inspired by something so you're like this is what i need to do bam or you're miserable and you go i've got nothing to lose like do the thing um i love i love that you took that jump and obviously like it led to so much amazing right. stuff well you had more motivation because you had to eat <laughs> yeah, that so did, yeah i've also got a, a really young boy as well you, so that was right so uh-huh. even harder than for, for, for you than just for right. me at least i had yeah. a job <laughs> Yeah, no, I jumped and just 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 went for it. Um, I mean, what kind of things are you working on now? What does your typical week look like in the life of Kathy Murray? Uh, right now, obviously full time. I am still a personal training. Um, I I'm a I'm a triathlete, so this is my um, tri season. Mm. Um, I strength uh, train a group here in Atlanta called the Atlanta Tri Sisters. So I have actually a race in two weeks, and then I'm just. Um, uh, looking to write more, um, uh, either, uh, I know Martha and I talk about maybe a prequel to this story. Mm. Um, obviously I am a very, um, I am a, uh, avid fitness person because, you know, you just see so many people so young, really in bad health. And I just think that that is 
these people need a little bit of a push and accountability. I always say that like 95% of my people are with me because they want uh, accountability. Yes. I'm there twice a week or three times a week at this time they come on and they're like, let's do it. I always tease them and say, I'm never offended when you're not happy to see me. <laughs> <laughs> but afterwards they're like, you know what? I was having a bad day. I really, mm. I almost canceled, but I'm here and I got through it. Um, clients that's, that are, it's, I have clients that are in their seventies and eighties also. And they're like, one lady was saying, hey, my eight-year-old said, I just got up out of my chair and my friend that's, my, that's younger than me could barely get up. So just trying to improve people's quality of life. Yeah. So that's what I, my, my main thing is. But then, um, you know, on the weekends, I'll start kind of outlining um, uh, what I want to pitch to my agent for for the next um the next book so that's kind of where i'm on that now is uh i've been bitten by the bug so yeah i'm you need that kind of quiet place it's been kind of busy and i'm getting ready to go on vacation in a couple of weeks so you know when i'm at the beach in the ocean and you know <laughs> i'm out of my circumstance mm-hmm. i think that creativity will come a little bit more stepping mm-hmm. out uh versus when things are kind of crazy right now yeah i feel that training. um and this is definitely not something i've prepared you for but since obviously you know you've mentioned there about improving people's quality of life and like sometimes those little steps help obviously a lot of people listening to this are authors and authors uh, being an author and writing is a very sedentary sat down in a chair job um yeah. what are some very very basic things that people can do just to improve their mobility their quality of life while they're working as writers to just get out, step away from the, the, the computer and just walk. Mm. You know, walking is easy. It's free. You know, people <laughs> say, it's free. Just I'm sold. walk. <laughs> you know, so just start. I have a client that I've been on her about walking. And then she started walking two miles. And then now she's up to three miles. And she told me the other day, hey, I have a, unfortunately, I have a friend that died of pancreatic cancer but they're having a 5k walk and I can finally participate because over the last couple months I've gotten up to three miles so I can participate I feel better it's a way of clearing my head and walking away from whatever you're doing Mm -hmm. so definitely walking I think would be first second is well moving second is is the food the food is you know, I always tell my clients it's 90% what you eat and 10% what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to walk and then come back and go, well, I deserve that extra <laughs> piece of pie or what have you. So just really making better nutritional choices and walking. Those are the two biggest things, especially when you're you're sitting at your desk. Maybe even have, I, I'm sitting in a different room, but um, in my um, office, I have a stand-up desk. Mm-hmm. So I can stand up and work and, you know, stand and sit. So trying to stand up, um, you know, said walk. Those are probably the two easiest things that you can start with. Walking, you know, movement and nutrition. Those mm-hmm. are two. And then if you want to strength, obviously is very important, but I would just, you know, see if you can. Um, well, then now there's YouTube videos. I mean, everything is, is out there also for free if you don't want to hire uh, mm-hmm. a personal trainer or some people start with me personal training and they they get their you know um they get a base 
and then they go along and do their thing and then say, hey, check with me in six weeks. Or I'll say, hey, well, how's it going, you know, for that? Yeah. So I think those are two big, biggest things. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you there. Obviously, I'm unqualified, but <laughs> <laughs> I, it's it's amazing sometimes when you when you look at this stuff, like how it because it see because it is so simple. Sometimes I think people discredit it because of its simplicity. But right. um, I've definitely noticed that I I got a dog in March, and because of that, oh. I'm now going on a lot more walks because I live right. by myself now. Um, but yeah, I've I've been forced to leave the desk and go for a lot more walks because I also don't have a garden, so I have to go out to obviously right. take it to the bathroom and things. Um, and just that in itself, like it's it's helping the <laughs> my complexion. Um, it's helping <laughs> me lose weight, and it's also just helping clear my mind a lot more. Um, right. Just having those moments to get away, and I think that is something that we very easily discredit. Is like you know if you're working in the office just on your lunchtime instead of going to another room to sit down and eat, right? Go for a short walk, like twenty minutes, half an hour. Like it's simple, but it very very effective exactly yes and having a pet does yeah. does help because you, you get, have to get a dog walk. or a cat right <laughs> well dogs are a little better because the cats usually don't have to go anywhere outside the house yeah. but the dog definitely um needs to be walked yeah i have seen yes. people walking lizards so oh gosh okay well hey they're walking. maybe a lizard <laughs> <laughs> and cats i have one cat that would walk on a leash oh wow really yeah i have seen the yeah. rabbit on the lead as well once oh wow i, I tried it on my old rabbit <laughs> they don't move that flipped. they don't move too fast though well when you try and grab them they do oh <laughs> <laughs> they get that um <laughs> but we true. are we are starting to come up to time so i have uh two more questions for you okay um one of them from myself and one of them from last week's guest who asked the question and it's kind of like a tradition that i have now um but the first question is why do you write mm, wow that's a good one um well with this first book it was to inspire others i get a lot of uh people commenting on the book that says you know i've known you for a long time but until i you listen to the book i had no idea of all the things that you went through and um it really inspired me to um to one, reinvent myself. You know, I've been reinvented myself. You've reinvented yourself. I've reinvented myself twice, you know, corporate to, you know, fitness and now fitness to, to being an author. So it's never too late. So I think the biggest thing is, is just to inspire people. If I can inspire anybody from my story to say, yes, you can quit that dead end job and do something you love. Or, you know, you, you may have been disappointed in life, but it doesn't have to, in that way, it can inspire you to, as, as I say, when, when you have the GPS, it'll say recalculating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when you go off to a different path, you can recalculate and still get to your end, end, end goal. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, and so the final question I have is, uh, as I say, it's from last week's guest who shall remain anonymous, as that is how we run things here. And okay. the question is, if you had a billboard in the middle of Times Square that could broadcast one message to thousands of people, what would that message be? Oh, wow. That's a good one. I would say, don't be afraid to jump. Mm. Trust the parachute will open. You may free fall a little bit. You're not going to hit the. You're not going to hit the ground. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Just tug it's go, go. Yeah, it's going to. It's going to hit. So, uh -huh. um, yeah, don't be afraid to jump. The parachute will open. I love that. Ah, oh, it's beautiful. Um, where can people find out more about yourself, your books, and all that you do? 
Uh, well, my book is the Munich Cowboys Cheerleaders. It's available on Audible. And my website is uh, fit, F-I-T hyphen bodies, B-O-D-I-E-S dot net. And all my social media is uh, on there. You can contact me there and uh, a little bit more about me. And also you can order the book also online. Perfect. And I'll put all those links in the show notes. But Kathy, thank you so much for spending the last you, 40, Daniel. 50 minutes with me. It's been a real pleasure. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm so honored. And it's, it's just been great talking to some a former cheerleader also. Yeah, nice little nugget there, nice little uh, trip yes. down memory lane. I'll have to dig out the old uniform at some point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. So there we are. That was our interview with Kathy Murray. So Sam, what did you think of Kathy? Okay, first of all, not like I... in a personal way. I realise like how suddenly. <laughs> what do you think of Kathy? What do you think of her? Is she is she a good person? <laughs> well, I would just like to say that I kind of. I'm in love with her a little bit, actually. Um, I got massive MJ vibes from her, Mm -hmm. like Michael Jordan. Um, In just when the fact that she like took them to six freaking championship wins (laughs) from like just you could just imagine them sitting in the gym like (laughs) 15 year olds just. But I love the fact that she had to be like, right, okay, rule number one. No smoking joint practice. I can't believe I'm having to say this, but I am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it just, God, like, racism, like, you know, is still very much prevalent in our society mm-hmm. um, in obvious and insidious ways. But kind of obviously, the further back you go in history, the worse it gets. Um, and just the fact that, like, people would turn up to show her apartments and see that she was black and be like, no, is Disgusting. horrible. Abhorrent. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that like, the strength of character, of belief, of everything to keep going through that. Because I think we often think of like, I was talking to, um, Barbara about this actually that a lot of the time when you know when you're going through a tough time and particularly as a woman um and obviously I can only speak as a white woman but you will often get told but you're so strong in that kind of way which means like you're so strong so stop complaining because you're the strong one which means that like you're the safe one I don't have to worry about you I have to don't do and it, it kind of shuts down that conversation so when I say that she was a strong woman what I mean is the just everything that it must have taken because there would have been I I cannot imagine that there wouldn't have been like days and weeks where she would have felt crippled and like I mean outcast constantly Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. so just all of that and she's such she just comes across as such like a beautiful soul Mm-hmm. Although I do have one bone to pick with her. <laughs> she. <laughs> um, and it's funny, actually, because I was speaking to some of the um, expected authors about this recently in one of the sprints that was running. And that's um, I. I cannot imagine now or ever. Wishing, desiring or going anywhere near a standing desk. The thought of it enrages me. <laughs> 
like I can understand the reasoning behind it, but quite frankly, it disgusts me to my core hmm. and I have no desire to stand up for all of the day. No, thank you. That's your most, choice. Yeah, yeah. Like most, most, <laughs> most things um, when are advised by experts, that was a real sentence and I'll fight you if you tell me it wasn't. Um, I can I can see the merit of it and I'm like yes I get it I get it but I, I lean on Ron Swanson when it comes to standing desks which is I live how I live I eat what I eat and I will die how I die <laughs> <laughs> what a sentiment yeah 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 what about you I mean I think there's there's so much as you say strength and power and yeah. beauty and just spirit um in a single person and what one thing that really stood out for me um in listening back but also obviously in interviewing is it's really hard to pull that from her because there's such humility yes in who she is um mm -hmm. like the stuff that she did was amazing like yeah. without argument like i'm i'm a big fan of as i mentioned in the interview like um the film coach carter with samuel L. jackson and it was very much those vibes in the sense of you know taking this team of no ones and, and springing them yep. up and she, she talks as if she's just gone out to little and grabbed some carrots like <laughs> do you know what i mean it's, it's just very sort of off yeah. the cuff like yeah i did this and then she's moving on to the next thing and like the, <laughs> there are certain people in life who well no it's not even certain people times come to all of us in which we really do have a decision to choose the easy path or the hard path and i realized that i'm kind of like paraphrasing from you know Harry Potter films um, oh, no. i thought i thought you was i thought you was lord of the rings in it because i got a little like so no but i mean the sentiment just rings true like and mm -hmm. as someone who has gone through a lot of those choices in my own life it can get really tiresome to be on that side and every now and then you think oh like this one i'm just going to leave because i i need to like prioritize me or whatever but at the same time some like i i can't begin to understand what it's like to have that kind of cultural pressure as well but like to keep moving forward like you say foot mm -hmm. after the other because if you don't who will yeah and like i've got a friend of mine who um she she started like a social justice charity a few years back um like we're, we're well out of touch now but i'm like super proud of what she's achieved um but her business is called if not now when oh. and it's in those moments that you have to like because there, there's so many things it's in, especially when it comes to big changes like that and you know moving a team forward and, and getting past all of that sort of like racial racial preju prejudice and things like someone it sucks but someone has to be that first runner yeah. someone has to push to make the change yeah and if we didn't have these people we wouldn't have like the society that we live in now and like just Broadly speaking, I just she's just an inspiration on on, on many many fronts. Yeah, um, and as you say, like she's so cheery and so spirited. She's and, so lovely. Yeah, yes. and we and we had a a chat after the podcast about cheerleading because the light yeah. in her eyes went from about a hundred to a thousand. <laughs> cheerlead. She's so happy about it. Yeah, it, yeah. It made yeah. me smile a lot. Yeah. Yeah, no. Some of it was about cheerleading. Some of it was about like other things as well. But like. Even again, considering who she is, she was so interested in in me as well, and it was kind of like given back. And you don't always get that from people. Sometimes people come to speak and not to listen. And she's mm -hmm. a person who, the whole time that she's talking, she's also listening as well. And it's it's people like that that, that grow, that adapt, and, and and set the path for other people. So yeah, yeah. like just an absolute honor to get the chance to chat to Kathy this week. I think what you just said encapsulates the reason why she was such a phenomenal coach mm -hmm. 
to be honest. And I've just remembered while you were talking, I just remembered something that she said, and I'll paraphrase. But what I really enjoyed was when like she told her team, if we do this and we execute this properly, like we'll win. Yes. And then because of prejudice, they were they were screwed out of winning. And I love this idea of, okay, okay, this sucks. Yes, we're going to pick ourselves back up and we are going to be so good that if they do this shit again, it's going to be so obvious that they're screwing us over. I yeah. loved that. Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. And those moments will come to us all. So do all who see such times. <laughs> Bridges is not for them to decide. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that brings us to a close for this week. Mm -hmm. uh, next week, again, I'm not going to put you on the spot. Because um, <laughs> I've had to look up who we've got. Next week, we have the incomparable, my co-writing partner, Luke <laughs> Phineas <laughs> Condor. <laughs> I was what the pause was about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just trying to come up with Amy's name. Yes, Luke Condor will be joining us on the podcast. And uh, oh, it's, it's been a few few years since I've had him on a podcast with me to divulge into his mind. So looking forward to that. Um, yeah. But too. yeah. What a mind. What a mind. What a mind. Uh, so from myself and from Sam, a massive thank you to you, the listeners, for tuning in. We appreciate you and the time you choose to spend with us each and every week. And as always, if you're looking to level up your writing, activate your author career, head on over to activateyourauthors.com to find out all about our community, our resources, and everything else that we've got going on. One more time for myself. Goodbye. And Sam? Goodbye. 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 <laughs> activate your energy. They were like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs>